Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Being able to be really specific about where you're going with one type of person is so much better than just looking at your whole TAM and saying, okay, it could be all of these people. It's better to like zero in multiple times than just try to do everything all at once. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant, if the menu is like 30 pages long, you know they're not doing sushi and tacos both beautifully. So it's better to to have just very specific things that you do really well. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Samantha Rideout. She's a product marketer. She's really active on LinkedIn. We're excited to chat to her about product marketing, but I want to first ask Samantha, how did you get into marketing? Hey, Daniel. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so excited to be in marketing. I got into it because I think it's the most important part of business. It doesn't really matter what your business is, how cool your product is. If you don't know how to tell the story of what you're doing, no one's going to care about it. So I think marketing, we're storytellers, and it's such a crucial part of business and success. Awesome. I want to talk about our topic today, ICP. First of all, could you explain to people what even is ICP for people who don't know what ICP is, and then we'll get into how to actually find your ICP or come up with your ICP? So ICPs are ideal customer profiles. They're a marketer's best friend. And for B2B marketers, you're looking at different company profiles. For B2C marketers, you're looking at specific customers who are that ideal sweet spot right where you want to be. And you can kind of look at it in terms of three parts of your target market. You have your TAM, your total addressable market. That's anyone you could sell to. You have your buyer personas, which is the scalable look at different types of people that you're selling to. And then ICPs who are just the the MVPs, the most valuable people. And they're the ones who you're going to be able to go the furthest with. Okay, so let's, let's break this down from going from top to bottom. So like TAM... Total addressable market to buyer personas to ICB. How do you find what those are and start breaking it down so people in the company understand what they are? I think first when you're looking at TAM, it's that's your first step. So you go from saying, my audience is everyone. And you hear people say this all the time. And I'm scared for them. If you believe that your audience is everyone, your audience is probably no one. So it's looking at those critical factors. Can you sell to someone in the UK or Australia? Are there regulatory issues? Are there supply chain issues? Who could you actually sell to if you could sell to everyone? So that's your first step. And then within that, everyone who you could sell to is not necessarily a good fit for your product. So you get a little bit more sophisticated. And then as you're looking at buyer personas, you're looking at these groups of people and they have different categories, you have different demographics for people, you have different values, different influences. 
it helps you to be able to reach people more effectively. But your ICPs are your most loyal customers, for one thing, and your highest lifetime value, for a second. I think those are the two most important parts of when you're looking at ideal customer profiles. So you think of companies like Slack. There was recently an article in Inc. where they said 40% of their revenue actually comes from the top 1% of their accounts. So if you're looking at the business that you're doing, you're looking at all your customers, some of them, you know, it takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more work even to land them. Your marketing funnel's long, your sales funnel's long. And once you have them, servicing the accounts is a lot less efficient than other customers' clients' accounts. So when you're looking at who they are and you start to understand why those people are such a great fit, then that's where the magic happens. You can be more strategic with who you're marketing to. So you create more ideal customers and you can market to those ideal customers in a more effective way. They already have confidence in you. So you can start doing cross-solving opportunities or cross-selling opportunities and you can keep growing. So it's not just lifetime value in terms of less turnover. We all know acquiring a client costs more than retaining a client. So there's lifetime value that way, but then there's also all the the cross-solve opportunities and growing with them to be able to generate even more revenue over time. Yeah, and I think what's also really important and how you broke that down. So like Tam is anybody you could probably sell your product to and then going all the way down to the ideal customer profile ideal customer profile goes into what are our product limitations right now that for who can buy what geos can we service right now what features do we have that actually these people are going to be most successful on like who actually is going to be most successful on our product what marketing resources, sales resources do we have right now that can actually service that? I think people make that mistake all the time. Like just because your ICP could be four different types of groups or whatever, doesn't mean you have the marketing capacity, the sales capacity, the CS capacity, the product capacity to to solve for those people right now. So it's better to find the ones where it matches all aligns with all those things. It might going down the right line of like how you think about it. Exactly. And I think there's opportunities too to have more than one ICP because maybe you have a different product or you're developing something different and it's going to be a different audience. So it's two ideal customer profiles for two different products, but those two ideal customers are very different. And you hear all the time, including on this podcast, the the riches are in the niches. So I think being able to be really specific about where you're going with one type of person is so much better than just looking at your whole TAM and saying, okay, it could be all of these people. It's better to like zero in multiple times than just try to do everything all at once. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant, if the menu is like 30 pages long, you know, they're not doing sushi and tacos, both beautifully. So it's better to to have just very specific things that you do really well. It's better to have an in and out menu than a cheesecake factory, especially when you're starting off. 
how do you package up what an ICP is and deliver that to the messaging to your internal teams? So what does that like end product look like? What ICP is for people who want to come up with the ICP today? What, what goes into figuring it out? And what does the end product look like to deliver? Um, if someone said, hey, Samantha, could you find our ICP? So I think figuring it out, the first thing you have to do is go to the data because customer feedback is really important. And if you talk to strategic accounts or anyone, I'm sure they have a great idea of who their ideal customer is and why they're the ideal customer. But as the famous Henry Ford quote goes, if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So as important as that customer feedback is or the analog stuff, it doesn't have as much sophistication as the data does. And sometimes it can be scary when I'm talking to other marketers about this and I say you have to go to the data because we have so much, but it's rarely integrated or neat. There's like a dashboard here. There's a spreadsheet there. And trying to bring all of this together and organize it can be really overwhelming. So kind of a quick cheat sheet, I would say, to go through some of the things you want to look at. You want to look at the referrals. So who has been a referring customer? What have they been saying about us? Or if you're B2C, look at your testimonials and try to unpack some of that. Look at deal size. Look at net promoter score. Time and cost to close cross-sell value, like what different modalities or different products across the suite are they engaged with? So you have that's kind of your first look at your data and figuring that out. And then you try to develop the story from those things. And there's, of course, more than just those things, but that's kind of a good place to start. So you look at that and then you try to figure out where do you go from here? So you take some of that information and you go to strategic accounts and you say, okay, here's our top net promoter scores and our top deal size, but they took so long to close and it cost so much. Let's understand what happened here. And you can also look to the future with this. You can say, okay, here's what our roadmap looks like, but here's what these ideal customers are engaged with right now. It doesn't really seem like we're moving in the same direction as them. Is that a risk for our business? How do we grow with our ideal customers so we can serve them better, but also three years, five years, 10 years from now, have a sustainable business? And then you can also find in this data how to develop smarter journeys. So how do we get them where they want to go faster? How do we make our marketing better as a result of what's in the data? So a long way of saying, I think it's all about Figuring out what your data tells you versus what people internally feel like is the opportunity or is the ideal customer. And I like to use an example of my own experience. So I am an ideal customer for Peloton. It's my favorite brand. I would buy Peloton breakfasts if they sold them. Like I am the easiest upsell they'll ever have. But if they came to me and said, you know, you're a really loyal customer. You tick all these boxes. You engage with multiple modalities. You use our product every day. Like you tick all the loyalty and lifetime value categories. But if they asked me what I wanted from them, the last thing I would say is probably the first thing they would see in my data. 
So I have so much Peloton clothes. I buy something every month or two or three months. Um, I'm always buying something new. But they have to send me Instagram ads or email marketing or have the right offer. But if they looked at my data, they would say, okay, we have a great opportunity here to do a subscription box. We only have to sell it to her once. We have recurring revenue. She's going to buy this anyway. So you can see a lot of opportunities in the data, not only to define your ideal customer, but then also define how to maximize that journey. And you're not going to get there unless you get into this data, data storytelling process. And then to the first part of your question, how do you share that internally? It's very hard to argue with data. (laughs) People do and they will, but it's very hard to argue with it when it's all laid out kind of black and white. And like one other thing on this that I think is really interesting. So to the Henry Ford quote of it all, where you're looking at like, what is the faster horse that my customer is looking for? And what is the truck that I should be giving them? Once you have this and you start having that discussion with your product team or your growth team and you present this to them, you say, here's what our ideal customer is. They don't have the imagination or the expertise in your vertical to know how high you can fly. So they're thinking about like 20 different vendors or different pain points for B2C. Like they're not thinking about your business the way you are. So once you define it, you present it internally, you start talking about it, you can figure out what is the future of this? What's going to get them really excited? And I think that's where you get to that sustainable growth model where it's not just guessing why people are good customers. It's knowing it definitively and then being able to brainstorm strategically. I think that that's so exciting. Two points I wanted to double down on that I think are really good too is one, it reminds me of the favorite, there's a quote by Gary Halbert, who's a famous copywriter, and he said, you want to know what people actually do buy, not what they say they buy. Sometimes people want to give you the best answer instead of following actions. So like for you, the Peloton example, you probably would say something like, you would dream or try to give Peloton the best answer. But really, if they saw what you actually do by or what that you do by from other people, it probably would have been the subscription box. That's why you need multiple sources of data. You can need customer feedback. You need to look at numbers. You need to look at how they're engaging with other people. You can't just rely on one piece of data to decide what ICP Another point I wanted to also make is what I used to do and what we used to do at a couple of companies I've been at is we used to have a very strict ICP because we wanted to get the best customers because we knew that they would close easier with sales. They wouldn't churn down funnel. But we also used to have something called a tiger team that we used to send them something called ACP, which is acceptable customer profile. And those were people who were like, oh, let's test to see how good these types of people are before we put them in our main group of people that we would say is our ICP. So just giving an extra insight on how to th- also think about it. 
so you've you've delivered the ICP. What are some things you do strategically now as a marketing team once you have the ICP? What are what are some things that you execute as a team when you you figure out what IC, your ICP actually is? I think the two most exciting things for marketing once you have it well defined and current is first figuring out how to be hyper-targeted with your marketing. You can be a lot more effective with your budget when you know exactly who you're going after. The other thing that's really exciting is being able to curate those marketing journeys a lot better and even into the sales journey after that because now you can look through some of your ideal customers and say, okay, what did they download or what case study did they see? And everyone who saw it, then they got a sales demo after. Like, What were the really exciting things or common milestones across the ideal customer journeys to get to where they are now? And then being able to put those more like further up in the marketing funnel, that's going to shorten things. Your time and cost to close will be decreased. And then you can also look at your sales funnel and see what the obstacles were there. What were some of the objections? What were some of the concerns, some miscommunications? What did we waste sales energy on later in terms of education? And how can we incorporate that into the marketing funnel? So you, then you're also giving sales higher qualified leads versus just turning them over, you know, trying your best blind. So the hyper-targeted marketing and the curated journeys are the two most exciting things to me that you can do from a marketing perspective once you have base. Also, one thing that you said about sales, I think ICP shouldn't be done just by the marketing team. ICP is a company-wide effort um, that needs to be agreed upon by sales, by product, by the executive team. It's not something that's done in a bubble. And it's easier to get sales buy-in once you've if you've worked on ICP with them. <laughs> the other thing is that from a marketing standpoint, I think once you have ICP, it's easy to come up with message fit that aligns with who you're going with. Because otherwise, like you said at the beginning, if you everybody's ICP, you have no unique messaging that could sell to that person who you're trying to. Like on your website, there should be the ideal customer you want to sell to. That's what the messaging should be targeted to at first. And you can have other tabs on your website that are like, okay, we do this for other people too. But your homepage and everything should be aligned to who who you're trying to sell to, right? And I think people make that big mistake when they don't come up with the ICP. Exactly. The more targeted your audience is, the more targeted your messaging can be, the more targeted everything can be. And it just makes everything more effective. So I agree with that completely. I also liked how you brought up um, doing this with sales and even the executive team. And I think it's an important call out Because something that we see as marketers all the time, and I don't think it really matters what industry you're in or what stage of company, there's often opportunities that will come up, whether it's, okay, our competitor is doing this, we should be doing this, or like some flashy thing somewhere or some idea someone has, and you can't do everything, at least not well. So sometimes we can get stuck in these 
kind of races where we're just running after something that seems exciting right now to an executive or seems like an exciting growth opportunity that sales wants to run after. But having these ideal customer profiles, well thought out, very strategic, it keeps us focused on the right things. Because even if there's like a low hanging fruit type opportunity, like, oh, we could steal some market share from this customer. We go after this. If you keep chasing that kind of stuff, you're not going to get to the sustainable growth that you really want. You might grow, you might get more revenue, but you're going to have to focus more resources on those things that don't really align with where you want to be in five or 10 years. So it can also really help with the whole trajectory of your uh, your go-to-market strategy. I 100% agree with that. I think focus is the number one thing in marketing. Also, I want to go into something that gets your opinion on. So you've come up with ICP. I think one of the things that people need to also know is that you're planning out ICP also is like a future thinking thing and gets you on a later planning for go-to-market strategy down the road. So you come up with ICP and you say, okay, we could service these people now, but this should be an ever-changing, I mean, an involving exercise where you always are looking at ICP, changing, seeing what's working, seeing what's not working, see who's a success on your product, but also deciding what new markets do we have to, can we go after once we've got to what our achievable goal is in the market we're trying to go after now? So for example, we're going into USA now, where is the next big opportunity? Is it a vertical industry? Is it a horizontal industry? Is it horizontally? Is it a new geo? Is it extending our product line, meaning selling different a different feature. This is a helpful exercise to plan your go-to-market strategy down the road, not only today. Exactly. I think you need to kind of be thinking of what that future ICP looks like before you're building out the next part of your part of your product or the next region that you're going to branch into. So I think that's important. And the other thing is being able to have subsequent ICPs and keeping everyone aligned on, okay, we have this product as this is our ideal customer. And maybe there's another one that's totally different or a different product, but it doesn't mean we can cut the difference. So being able to evolve things in a way that doesn't confuse people requires so much education internally. And I think that's one of the places where the wheels can sometimes come come off because when you're in marketing and you're doing the work, it seems so clear to you because you're in it every day, day in, day out. But you're on page 100 of this and other people are just, they're still in the table of content contents. So it's all about educating and re-educating And just because it seems really simple to you doesn't mean that it seems simple to everyone else. And reminding people of what the strategy is and why, I think that that's that's one place where we can sometimes forget that needs a lot of TLC. I agree. I think we as marketers forget that we do so much marketing externally that we forget that marketing internally is as important. And to be marketing internally, it it's just the same thing as externally. You need 
consistent messaging, consistent frequency, consistently telling your people, this is what our ICP is. This is what we're going after. This is our messaging. And not only bring it up once in an all hands meeting and then it's done, it's continuously telling people, hey, this is our ICP. This is our ICP. This is our ICP until it's like grained in their head. Like, this is who we're going after. This is who we're going after. But you need to tell someone a message more than two, three times to get it in their head that this is what it is. And we forget that as marketers sometimes that we have to stay top of mind internally as much as we need to stay uh, up top of mind next. Mm-hmm. 100%. What is a marketing hill you would die on? A marketing hill I would die on is that your internal SMEs and the people who are really involved with your company are your best ambassadors. The people who really care about your product, they care about your customers, they care about your mission. There's so much that we can be doing to make them our number one marketing asset. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that with all of the other technical things or things that are part of our OKRs. But being able to make part of our brand voice, the actual internal voices in our company, I think is one of the most effective things we can do as marketers. And I think it's something that pretty much every brand needs to do more of. Like your employees and leaders, they've already bought into your brand. They could work anywhere and they choose to work at this brand because they believe in it or there's something about it that motivates them. So how do we harness that energy in our external marketing? It's such an exciting opportunity. People forget marketing is every touch point that you have of your customer. Every touch point doesn't always involve the marketing team. So to get everybody on the same page of who we sell to, what's our messaging, what is what is our audience pain points, what is our values of our company, what is our values of our brand, what is how should we talk about our brand, what's our voice, they should know all this so every touch point feels the same, feels consistent, and it starts with doing that internally. So I couldn't agree more with that you need to get everybody on the same page. they get the best ambassadors. They will, they're the ones speaking to the customers a lot, especially customer success and sales. And even product teams understanding what are the pain points they're actually solving right now. Instead of looking at the market and saying, oh, this, this competitor is building this, we should build this. So I totally agree with you. I probably should have made it about ICPs, but that was one that was like most exciting. That was top of mind. And I should have known you were going to ask that because I just listened to the Marketing Hill mashup. So you should have known it was coming. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. I think it's, um, I like that question because it makes people think on their toes of what they <laughs> actually care about. So I, it's a, it's a good question. Um, Lastly, I want to ask you, where could people find you, what you're doing, all that good stuff? Well, I am super active on LinkedIn, maybe too active. People make fun of me fairly frequently. So look me up on LinkedIn and you'll see more than you ever wanted to see of me. But I'm always happy to connect with other marketers. I think you learn so much from each other on LinkedIn. It's like a built-in community. 
Um, and you'll see me there commenting on all, all the marketing millennials posts. So I'm easy enough to find. Samantha has been ride or die since the beginning. So I appreciate her. Um, and that's no pun to having her last name right out, which is, but go follow Samantha right out. She's awesome. She very active on LinkedIn, very supportive, very big, good in the marketing community. So thank you so much for this episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.